Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I'm in Montenegro and you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This week, the program is coming. Uh, part of it will be coming from Montenegro, where for many years you and I were involved in a sports camp, an English camp that was teaching young people and educating them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So excited that you're there, Jimmy, and getting this opportunity with your family to minister. And as we talk about on this program all the time, we look at prophecy and, and where we are in the end times, and we're out there sharing the gospel. Yes. I would look forward to our second half hour because we talk about the Great Commission. What is our responsibility as Christians? What are we supposed to be doing as believers? Until we get there, though, I want you to stand by because we've got some great uh, questions for our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan. We're looking at current events. We're going to be examining because each one of those events helps us to understand how close that we are to the first of the final prophecies to be fulfilled, which will be the rapture of the church. Well, let's get started with our first broadcast partner, Rick, Ken Timmerman. Ken Timmerman joins us today. He's our expert in geopolitical affairs. He joins us every week. Ken, where in the world do we find you today? <laughs> well, this week, Rick, we're in uh, Sweden, where my wife, who's Swedish, has a uh, country home, and uh, it's very pleasant to be here. Never a dull moment in the life of Ken Timmerman. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. In a moment, I would like to get your after-action report on President Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia. But before that, uh, it seems there was sort of a counter-summit held by Russia, Turkey, and Iran. Can you tell us what happened at that summit and the significance of it? Well, this was an amazing trip by Vladimir Putin and Erdogan to Tehran. Uh, really, this is Ezekiel 38 playing out right before our eyes, hmm. three of these big, big partners uh, against Israel in the end time scenario. And there they are in the real world right here and now in our lifetime, uh, essentially cementing a strategic alliance. Uh, this was a counter uh, alliance to uh, President Biden going to Saudi Arabia and to Israel, uh, uh, the Middle East. And Putin made it very clear that uh, that's what it was. He is the he is the Russian czar. And these are two of his, I won't say vassal states any longer, because one of the things that happened in, in this trip, which kind of blew my mind, was that the Iranians said, oh, we'll sell Russia armed drones because Russia does not have that capability. Pretty astonishing when you think about it. The Iranians have built up a, a really vast industry of drones. Most of them, get this, copied from our own. So the Iranians are building the equivalent of advanced U.S. armed drones that they have shot down over Afghanistan or over the Iranian-Afghan border. They're selling copies of the uh, RQ-4A Global Hawk, which is a very large uh, unmanned uh, vehicle, and uh, the biggest one of all, the Sentinel, the, this uh, Boeing aircraft, the Sentinel, which they first shot down in 2011 uh, along the border with Afghanistan. This is this big swept wing, uh, supposedly stealthy drone, and they're selling, they're, they're building those by the hundreds, and they're sell that's what they're selling to the Russians. They're selling to the Russians basically the equivalent of our own uh, 117 Sentinel, RQ-170 Sentinel uh, stealth spy drone. 
The Ezekiel 38 Summit. Very interesting. Students of Bible prophecy and regular listeners to this program will understand the significance because these, as you said, are three main players in God's end time scenario that was laid out in Ezekiel. Well, uh, it looks like they had a deal uh, come out of this to uh, export grain. Yes, the and Turkey here was serving as the intermediary. Uh, Turkey continues to have good relationship with both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, the Turks have been selling Ukraine drones as well. Uh, these are mainly reconnaissance, but also armed drones. And uh, my understanding is that uh, at this summit in Tehran, Erdogan agreed to Putin's request to stop drone deliveries to Ukraine. But uh, Ukraine then used its good services, if you wish, as an intermediary to broker this deal to export grain from Ukraine. Remember, they have been blocked up in those Black Sea ports for the past four or five months. This has started to create a real serious problem in parts of Africa and the Middle East where they've had grain shortages. And uh, Turkey then used its good services to get the two countries, Ukraine and Russia, to agree to open corridors for uh, naval passage. Now, this will be under uh, very high surveillance. Uh, and the Ukrainians are going to go slowly to make sure that the Russians don't blow up the ships leaving those southern Ukrainian ports. But ultimately, they will go through the Bosphorus, which is in Istanbul, right? It goes right through the heart of Istanbul, through uh, Asia on the one side and Europe on the other, that tiny little strait of the Baltic Sea going out to the Mediterranean. And then they'll hit the Mediterranean and go wherever else they're going. So, yeah, there was that deal made. It's going to take a couple of weeks to implement it, but it's an important step forward. Well, moving away from that crisis and looking, uh, as I promised before, to President Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia, uh, can you just give us kind of the review of that visit? What did he accomplish? What did he not accomplish? It was a very um, embarrassing visit in many ways, mm. where the president began with this ridiculous fist bump with Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, who he had reviled before visiting Saudi Arabia and once again reviled after visiting Saudi Arabia. It, it was really extraordinary to see the president of the United States holding a press conference, not a press conference, excuse me, but a, a press availability once he got back. Uh, to the United States and telling the U.S. media that he had rebuked the crown prince of Saudi Arabia for his involvement in the assassination of this Saudi columnist and, and uh, you know, anti-Saudi activist Jamal Khashoggi. And the foreign minister, the Saudi foreign minister who had been in the room at the time, Adil Joubert, who I met 25 years ago when he was the uh, number two at the embassy in Saudi, uh, Saudi embassy in Washington, Joubert said, oh, I don't remember Biden saying that at all. I don't remember him even mentioning <laughs> the assassination of Khashoggi during the meeting. And he was in the room at time and he was probably doing some of the translating as well. So to have this kind of tit for tat, uh, uh, you know, argument over what Biden said, what he didn't said is really kind of embarrassing. I would tend to take the word of Adel Joubert over that of President Biden, who has a hard time remembering the name of his wife or the position that he holds in the world or where he slept last night. Unfortunately, Ken, that seems to be the way that things are going down right now. And it's just a, an indicator of the significant decline of America's influence in that part of the world, isn't it? 
Uh, it is. And uh, one of the reasons that Biden went to Saudi Arabia and to Israel was to reassure uh, America's allies and our friends. And Saudi Arabia remains an ally and a friend of the United States, despite this extraordinary hostility from the president of the United States, personal hostility towards the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He went there to reassure them that we have not left the Middle East. Well, uh, I think it was a, a pretty empty reassurance. The Saudis have been turning to Moscow and to China because they see the United States is not steadfast, is not a strong ally. And Biden didn't come away with anything. Uh, he, had, he had been hoping to get the Saudis to increase their oil production, to have an impact on oil prices and gasoline prices in the United States. Didn't happen. Uh, the Saudis said, well, we'll go to OPEC and see you know, whether they will agree to allow us to increase our quota. He really didn't get anything from them at all. He did not get them to, to uh, join this uh, Middle East air defense initiative that he'd been talking about with Israel and Qatar and uh, the United Arab Emirates. He did get them to allow overflights from Israel, but that was really the only positive takeaway from that trip. Well, time is short, Ken, but I wanted to just get one more question into you. And we've been focusing on different parts of the world and Biden's trip, but let's not forget that we must watch China. You've talked about the serious threat that China poses to the rest of the world. And I just wanted to get an update there. I know this Ukraine war is making them rethink how they're going to proceed against Taiwan when uh, or if that time comes. And also, uh, one of our American congressmen, Congressman Pelosi, is supposedly heading to Taiwan, and China's not happy about that. Well, she's the number three in line for the presidency in the United States as Speaker of the House, and she's uh, expected to visit Taiwan in August. Uh, she had put it off from April because of COVID. The Chinese are very unhappy about that, and they're saying that they will respond with, quote, resolute and strong measures should she visit the island. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure anybody else is entirely certain. Uh, it could be Chinese military overflights of Taiwan. It put, could be some kind of military exercises, naval exercises in the Strait of Taiwan. But their concern is that Pelosi will encourage the Taiwanese president on the path of declaring independence. That is uh, China's absolute red line. Taiwan must not declare independence from China. Right now, they're living in this kind of gray state where they're not independent, but they're not part of uh, communist China either. And the Chinese have allowed that ambiguity for a number of years. But as we saw with Hong Kong, ultimately, when, when Hong Kong uh, lost its status as a British protectorate in 1999, it was supposed to remain free of any kind of Chinese direct annexation for another 50 years at least. But no, it took them less than 10 years to annex uh, Hong Kong. Taiwan is worried about the same kind of thing. Uh, so watch uh, this space. Watch what happens when Nancy Pelosi goes there. Watch how the Chinese respond. You have Bill Burns, the CIA director, just this past week also in Aspen, uh, talking about China. And he's saying that the uh, what's happened to Russia in Ukraine is a warning to the Chinese not to go half-heartedly into Taiwan should they decide to take it by force. So he says they're going to be rethinking their military plans and using maximum power so they don't get bogged down as Russia's gotten bogged down in Ukraine. So many concerning areas around the world to keep an eye on. We appreciate you doing that for us, Ken. Enjoy your time there in Sweden, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. God bless. 
Well, we need to keep our eyes on China. I can testify here in Montenegro, they are continuing their Belt Initiative Road system that goes all the way from China to the Eastern Europe. China will be involved in the nations that king out of the East in Revelation chapter 16. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back here in Montenegro and Rick in Chattanooga, Tennessee, we'll continue with Prophecy Today weekend. I'm Liz Kramer with Mission Network News. Ousted former Prime Minister of Pakistan Imran Khan saw his party win a crucial election this week. His PTI party won 15 of 20 seats in the Punjab Provincial Assembly. Khan has called for new elections to be held in October, hoping to regain power. Nehemiah with FMI says a severe financial crisis has made his opponents even more unpopular. Inflation hits impoverished Christians the hardest. Join us in praying for FMI as they train church leaders in these challenging circumstances. And many cultures rely on orality methods like storytelling to share the gospel. Mission Aviation Fellowship teamed up with the Seed Company to reach the Democratic Republic of Congo's remote communities with oral evangelism training. MAF pilot Brett Ryerson says one remote village chief shared they felt forgotten by the church. But this program shows God remembers even the most isolated peoples. Pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. This is the segment of the program where we have our Middle East news update, and to do that, we have Dave Dolan. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be with you, Rick. Well, Dave, we'll start. Last week, much of our program was centered around President Biden's visit to the Middle East, and specifically Israel. Now that he's back home, from your uh, take, how was the visit received? And also, uh, maybe your comment, I know that the former uh, ambassador to Israel, uh, David Freeman, had some very disparaging things to say about the visit. Could you update us on that? Well, basically, Rick, uh, Ambassador Friedman, who is an Orthodox Jew and uh, supports uh, Jews living in Judea and Samaria, supported very strongly. Of course, he was appointed by Donald Trump and was a friend of his, but supported very strongly the moving the embassy to Jerusalem that Trump did. So he represents basically the right wing a religious Jewish view, Israeli view, even though he's uh, an American, and that is that Biden's visit was a bit insulting, as he called it, in that he refused to go to the prime Jewish site in the world, uh, the Western Wall, well, the Temple Mount itself, but the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. They wanted him to go there, the Israeli government. He refused because it's an occupied East Jerusalem. 
And then he visited, uh, we talked last week with Abbas out in Bethlehem, PA leader Abbas out in Bethlehem. But he then went up to the Mount of Olives to visit the Augusta Victoria Hospital, uh, pledged $100 million of USAID for Palestinian hospitals while he was there. And he refused to allow any Israeli security, any Israelis at all to accompany him there because, again, it's in occupied East Jerusalem, it's Arab areas, in other words. And he made them, he asked that the Israeli flag that was on his car, uh, along with the Palestinian flag, by the way, but he asked that it be taken off. And uh, some other things that really bothered the right. Uh, also, he, he was sort of wishy-washy on Iran. The Jerusalem Declaration that he signed with uh, Prime Minister Lapid, I should say acting Prime Minister Lapid, was strong, and it said that we will take actions if necessary, and he said that in an interview. But as a last resort, they would take military action. Well, the Israelis don't feel like they have the luxury of uh, waiting on that one. So uh, the left wing basically was happy with his visit. So there were two different views basically coming out of uh, from Israelis. I know that the Palestinian Authority, President Mahmoud Abbas, was not happy, as you mentioned. We spoke about that last week. And he actually went to France, potentially looking for a new partner to replace the United States and pushing for the peace process to resume. Yes, he met with uh, President Macron, and uh, he's had talks with the, the British, with the Germans and others, uh, pushing them to push Israel to restart the peace process. Well, as I've said so many times, the conditions on the ground as the Israeli leaders, even the left-wing leaders, and Lapid is on the left, uh, recognize that there's nothing there right now. There's mm. internal disasters in the Palestinian side and Hamas vowing to destroy the Jewish state and Hamas wanting to take over the rest of the area of Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and Abbas being an old man that won't do elections, won't hold elections. And he's really looking, from what I've read, for money. He's looking for more financial support from Europeans well, as a parallel to President Biden's visit, we know that Putin made a visit last week to Iran, and he had a summit there of his own, and that could spell trouble for Israel, couldn't it? Oh, definitely. They're uh, watching more and more as Putin becomes more and more anti-Israel, basically, in his statements and in his actions. Um, the reports are that uh, he was quite upset with uh, Lapid taking over as prime minister because Lapid had directly criticized Putin for launching the invasion of his neighbor Ukraine and for the violent uh, nature of it and the things that are going on, whereas Bennett had been more, um, former Prime Minister Bennett and Bibi Netanyahu as well, who's a personal friend of Putin's, unlike Lapid, had been more circumspect in their comments. So they're concerned about that. They're concerned about uh, Iran selling drones to Russia, which it's going to do which will mean it can advance its own drone program against Israel, which is one of the most sophisticated on earth, Rick, actually, uh, now. And it wasn't that way just a few years ago, but uh, Russia's coming to Iran for those and uh, strengthening that military relationship between them. And, of course, the Turkish uh, President Erdogan was also at that summit in Tehran, and they met with uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, and uh, he made his usual anti-Israel remarks and anti-Israel statements. They're afraid also, Rick, that Russia will 
totally restrict Israeli action in Syria against Iranian forces and Hezbollah forces active there. And we have a report from the Jerusalem Post a few weeks ago that's now been confirmed that the Justice Department in Russia has asked the Jewish agency to close down. Now, the Jewish agency, for anyone who doesn't know, and most of your listeners may not, is the main uh, body responsible for immigration, Jewish immigration to Israel, Aliyah, it's called. And they have active work all over the world, but certainly in countries with large Jewish communities like Russia still has. And many people are in the process of wanting to move to Russia. And the numbers have increased with this war. Russians beyond Jews are leaving also because of the war. So um, that's very distressing. It's in the courts right now. The Jewish agency is trying to get that order reversed. But another sign of that we're moving to that era where Russia is a clear enemy of the Jewish state of Israel. And that's prophesied, of course, in the Bible. And we see more and more signs of that uh, taking place every day. We certainly do. And we've talked about it on this program. Israel seemed to walk a very fine line in their relationship with Russia uh, for a couple of reasons. One, Russia's influence in the Middle East. And then, uh, two, all of the Jews that still remain in Russia. And, uh, yeah, like you said, that dynamic is changing now, isn't it? It is. It is. There's an estimated 600,000 to a million Jews still in Russia. Nobody knows for sure. Uh, they were charged, the Jewish agency, with spying on Russian citizens. Well, they're not spying, but they do collect information on the Jews of Russia, and they, you know, survey them. Are you interested in immigration? If you are, we'll help you. We're here, you know, just call us, that sort of thing. There's no coercion. They're certainly not agents of the Mossad or something else that's being implied in some of these charges. So, yes, they, they want to stay on Putin's good side, but it's hard when he's uh, cozying up to the Ayatollah and uh, when he's bombing in Ukraine. Well, final subject I wanted to talk to you about. There is some action and not good action necessarily. And there's some talk about uh, Israel and Lebanon and uh, some border disputes. Uh, could you just update us on that situation and give us a current status report there? Well, one of those Iranian-made drones crossed over into Israeli airspace on Monday, Rick, and the Israelis shot it down. Of course, last week we talked about the three unarmed, they said, the Hezbollah said, but Israel wasn't sure, drones that were heading towards the Karish oil field. Israel has an oil platform out in the Mediterranean, and it's right along a border out in the water that is uh, undefined. That the, the U.S. is negotiating with Israel and Lebanon uh, to try to define it, uh, that both sides would agree this is where it is. But Hezbollah claims this Israeli uh, platform is in Lebanese territory and it will defend the country and it will blah, blah, blah. And the Lebanese government has rebuked Hezbollah leaders saying, look, we're the government, not you, and you, have, you don't have the right to start wars on our behalf. But they continue to talk strongly, Hezbollah does, against that and uh, continue to make threats. In fact, uh, Nasrallah, their leader, said you haven't seen anything yet. And uh, kind of echoing what Putin said last week about uh, Ukraine and, and Europe, very frightening talk. And so on Tuesday, Yair Lapid flew up to the northern border unannounced 
with uh, Defense Minister Gantz and other military leaders. He toured the border area and he said, we're ready at any moment if we have to, to defend ourselves. And we're not going to accept these cross-border infiltrations and this harassment from Hezbollah. So again, it, uh, the temperature's high. The last time we had a major war was in August, of, uh, but it began at the end of July of 2006, lasted over 30 days, and we may be on the verge of another summer bust-up with Hezbollah, but if it would just remain with Hezbollah this time, we can't say, but very likely, if there is another conflict, that Hamas would get involved and possibly Iran itself would get involved and maybe even Syria. So the chances that a war in this era would explode into a much greater war are much higher than they were uh, 15 years ago. Well, David, thank you for all that you do and keeping our listeners informed, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. I'm always glad to do it, Rick, and God bless. Great insight, Rick, with David Dolan, as David has many years of experience and understanding why political figures are doing what they're doing, not only here in the United States, but in Israel and around the world as it comes to deal with the Jewish people. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, right here in Montenegro, we'll be talking to our broadcast partners here that are helping us to understand the gospel is needed around the world. Right here at Prophecy Today Weekend. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As we stated at the beginning of the program, I'm in Montenegro, Nikshik, Montenegro, and Rick's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, I'm excited about this next half hour because we're going to focus on evangelism. And uh, we're going to get it started with Mike Gendron. Mike Gendron joins us. He's the director of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. He's been a friend of the program, been on before. And Mike, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's always good to be back on your show. Thanks for having me. We got in touch with you this week because an item that you recently wrote about, and it's talking about the one true church. Can you explain to our listeners what you're talking about? Well, sure. There's a lot of confusion today as to which the one true church is. As you know, and your listeners probably know, the Roman Catholic Church has boasted in being the one true church of Jesus Christ and that the Protestant churches are the Johnny-come-latelys that we didn't start until 500 years ago. So when we look at the rapture of the church, it's important to know what the one true church is. And also, so your listeners will know that Roman Catholics do not belong to that church, and they need to be rescued. They need to be evangelized. When you look at the Roman Catholic Church, you can say that it is not based on the first century church. How do we know what the first century church looked like? 
well, we look at the book of Acts. It's a history book of the first century church. And so a lot of what you see in the Roman Catholic Church today, you do not see in the first century church. And that would include the continuing work of Christ's redemption on an altar, praying for the dead, venerating Mary, transubstantiating wafers into the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Nor can we find any mention of indulgences, purgatory, infallible popes, or a sacerdotal priesthood. And so, by definition, we can say the Roman Catholic Church departed from the true church, and they're an apostate form of Christianity. In fact, even at the Council of Trent in the 16th century, they officially and dogmatically departed from the faith of the apostles to the point where they are condemning born-again Christians with over 100 anathemas. And so, Rick, there's a lot of confusion among evangelicals today because our leaders are signing ecumenical accords with Roman Catholics, daring to say that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we do do need to make this clear that Roman Catholics belong to an apostate religion and they need to be evangelized. Well, there's a lot to unpack there from what you said, and it's all very good information that you're giving. And just to let those that have found us know, we're not necessarily attacking a denomination or a building. And I mean, we're not necessarily attacking Catholicism, or on the, on the other side, we're not necessarily raising the Baptist up. We're looking at scriptures, right? Yeah, the true church, uh, what a great definition we see all the way through the scriptures The true church of Jesus Christ is made up of all who have been born again of the Spirit of God. They were a people for God's own possession. We see that in Titus 2, 11 to 14. And universally, it includes all who have repented and believed the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They've been purified by the blood of Jesus, sealed by the Spirit of God. They've been sanctified by the truth of God's Word. And they are new creatures in Christ, born of the Holy Spirit, They are called saints. In fact, we see even in the New Testament, many of the epistles were written to the saints at different churches. We also know that their names are enrolled in heaven, which means they have the assurance of eternal life. They're protected by the power of God. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And so these are the true members of the true church of Jesus Christ. There is only one head, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he deserves all glory and honor. Mike, in a previous conversation that we have had, I, one of our the questions that you answered for us is whether there are those in the Catholic Church that are actually born-again believers. And your answer was, yes, there could be, there may be, but if they are, they're not good Catholics, or they're not necessarily believing the Catholic doctrine. So and not only in the Catholic Church, but in all denominations, maybe even in your church, there are those that may not be believers, and that is a mission field for us. What's the best way for us that want to reach those people? What's the best way for us to witness to them? Well, we have to get the gospel right, and it is an eternal gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was first announced in the garden when Adam and Eve fell into sin. And the Bible says this gospel will go throughout the world and then the end will come. And the gospel is all about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. There are many who believe in Christ, but they don't believe Christ is enough. And so they're doing good works in order to qualify them for heaven. And the Apostle Paul made it very clear that if it is by grace, it is not of works. Otherwise, grace is not grace. And so Satan knows that the only way God will save sinners is by 
grace alone. So what does he do? He misleads people and deceives people with a works righteousness salvation. And you find that not only in Roman Catholic churches, but also in many Protestant churches. Uh, many of the churches preach a works, works righteousness salvation. So the call to respond to the gospel is a call of repentance and faith. Repentance is a change of mind once you've heard the truth. And that may mean letting go of anything you're doing and trusting in everything Christ has done. As simple as that. But once we are born again, then we're new creatures in Christ. And then we do the works that God has prepared for us to walk in. But first, we must come to the cross of Christ with empty hands of faith, bringing nothing but our sins. And so it's important that professing Christians everywhere look to Christ as the all-sufficient Savior and trust in him alone. And if they're doing anything, adding to the finished work of Christ, they need to repent of that in order to be saved. Such a wonderful statement. The first thing that you said, you have to get the gospel right. We have prophecy today, and I know you at Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries as well. The whole thing is about teaching the Bible, about teaching the Bible correctly. It's not about necessarily what we say. It's about what Scripture says. I do think, and I agree with you, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, one of the big dangers in our world today is this kind of ecumenical movement. There is certainly a danger in bringing in incorrect theology and not recognize it and not calling it out, isn't there? Well, you're right, Rick. In fact, it's really amazing to me. I've thought of many things, but um, the only word that I can think of that both divides and unites is truth. Truth is what divides believers from unbelievers, but yet Jesus said that he came to sanctify people by the truth, and so we're united in truth, we're united in the truth of the gospel. But on the other hand, Jesus also said, I came to divide father against son and mother against daughter. So the gospel is made up of truth, and in order to be a believer, you have to believe the true gospel. And unfortunately, there are many churches that preach a compromised gospel. Three of the most important things of the gospel that are often left out all begin with an R. In Romans 1.17, Paul talked about the gospel revealing the righteousness of God. So many people think they get to heaven by their own righteous deeds, but they don't know that God's righteousness requires perfect righteousness, and man's only hope is to receive the righteousness of Christ as a gift as we see in Romans 5.17. Another R that's left out, we've talked about it, is repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that produces a change in direction. When you recognize you're on the wide road to destruction, you have to get off and get on the narrow road to life. And the other word that's often left out is the resurrection. Um, Without the resurrection of Christ, then your faith is worthless. And so... We have to make sure we're giving a complete gospel, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Well, Mike, as a final thought, and and before we uh, talked, uh, we had mentioned a little bit about what's the most important thing that we need to get out to our listeners, and, and you said we need a sense of urgency. Yes, we do. When the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, he passed the baton to the church. He came to seek and to save that which was lost And now he's given the church that responsibility. We're to seek after those who will never seek after the true God. And we must pursue them with a sense of urgency. The nature of deception is that people do not know they're deceived until they're confronted with the truth. 
And every born-again Christian is a truth-bearer. We must lovingly confront people with the truth of the gospel. Only then will they know they're deceived, and only then can they repent and believe the truth of the gospel. Uh, Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. Also, you can follow Mike on Facebook at Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries, or you could look up Mike Gendron as well. Um, But I encourage you to follow his ministry. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Rick. Blessings to you. Mike Gendron always gives us information pertaining to the Catholic Church and what's happening. Mike keeps us updated on that. As I stated at the beginning of the program, I'm in Montenegro, Rick, and uh, it's one of those areas where you and I worked for many years. And I'm here now with uh, one of our good friends. He's a Serbian working here in Montenegro, Daniel Pekoski. Daniel, uh, how many years have you been here in Montenegro? Uh, I came in Montenegro since 2009. So uh, I have a friend who, who jokes so like in our region, like I was born, I lived in three countries and I never left uh, my hometown. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so, no kidding. Yeah, so after fallen of Yugoslavia, like there were, there were a lot of changes of the names. So I grew up in Belgrade, uh, one close town to, uh, small town to Belgrade called Panchevo. I studied in Belgrade uh, mechanical engineering and God uh, called me to do the ministry in Montenegro. And then I decided to move in 2009 over here. Why here? Yeah. Uh, so uh, growing up in North Serbia, I became a believer when I was about 17. So for in my hometown, there's about seven churches over there. And for me, it was kind of like, okay, normal, there is a church. But uh, when I was... Uh, part of a Christian uh, student group at my college. I couldn't imagine that in Montenegro, there are, in a whole country, there is three churches. And at back in that, in that time, it was less than 100, 150 believers in a whole country. So for me, I was like, wow. I mean, everybody knows each other. So I was, I really grow a desire for Montenegro. So I was coming here for a short uh, mission trips, seeing the situation and so on. And God did the work in my heart. And then I decided like, I want to, uh, I want to come here. Also, uh, other reason is uh, my wife, she's Montenegrin, <laughs> so I moved here. <laughs> it's so, a good reason. So for locals, they think, oh, you came here because of love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Montenegro, tell us a little bit about Montenegro. So, yeah, Montenegro is a small country on the Adriatic coast. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it has a less than a million people living here, so it's like about 700,000. Uh, there is, it's very diverse uh, society, religious-wise, ethnically-wise. So there is about a majority of population declare themselves Orthodox Christians. And there's about uh, 67% of those people. There's about 15% of Catholics and about 15% of Muslims. Mm-hmm. And uh, others will decree, declare even atheists, or which is interesting. Uh, after Second World War, majority declared themselves as atheists because of the communism. And then later, after the fall of communism, people started declaring, like, uh, when there was more freedom of how of their religious background. How many believers, as we would term, believers yeah. in Jesus Christ? Yes, believers in Jesus Christ, uh, in the terms of uh, uh, us evangelicals, uh, there is now, uh, at this point, about 250 in the whole country. I do believe there is individual believers inside the big institutions like uh, Orthodox or Catholics, there is people who believe in Christ. So in, in that matter, I meet, but there are quite few. 
quite few who honestly love God and 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 doing good deeds uh, among other people. There is there is a lot of political propaganda through through both of these institutions and defending whether it's uh, uh, their national rights or whatever. Mm-hmm. And as a missionary, how are you received here in sharing? And evangelizing yeah. and and working in the cities. Most of people are thinking uh, that uh, I'm some kind of a part of a cult mm-hmm. and a sect who wants to uh, brainwash them and do something. And uh, so the good thing is that I have Bible on my side yeah. <laughs> and God. <laughs> so because when people start like uh, arguing and put some arguments, I would usually like, hey, look at the Bible. And Bible is saying that. So majority of people never open the Bible in their in their life, mm-hmm. not read it. So that's uh, what I'm trying to do is to encourage people to come and read the Bible, whether it's together with me or in the small group or join the bigger group of uh, Bible readers and and and, and seeking Bible secret Bible study groups. And so we do all sorts of different things during the year just to encourage people to look at Jesus and. I'm trying to do my part of job, and I know God is faithful. He will do mm. his part of job, yep. and that is to touch people and to convert their lives. One of the things that I've witnessed as you are here, and I know taking forth the Great Commission, mm-hmm. is making disciples. And I've seen that. Not only have you talked and you're helping guide our young people mm. in personal evangelism and how to witness here. Uh, as we all know, mission trips are really mm. more... Uh, in a sense, they they give more to the people that come because it opens their eyes. Like mm-hmm. Americans that come to a foreign field. Yeah. It opens their eyes to what's there. Mm. But it, you're making disciples here, not only with our kids, but with your young people in the area that you have Bible studies with mm. and that you meet with. Mm. Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard process. It's a long process. It's a really, uh, it's a walk together with people. So I... There is different kind of, simply said, you just have to be part of their life. You have to have your life open to them, and you hope that they're going to open their life. As I like to say, you you open your life, you open your fridge, you open your wallet, you give your car, you give your house, you open everything for them, because uh, that's how Jesus basically made mm-hmm. disciples. He walked with them three years, they slept together, they ate together, they spent all the time together. And basically witnessing with your life, because a lot of people want to see: Are you walking the talk? What you say? What you're saying? Because we had so many, whether it's politicians or leaders, promising so many things and they all fail. Yep. So people don't trust many of public speakers. They're like, oh, he's speaking like this, but who knows what he's doing when the door is closed? Right. You know. So it's basically your you have to have integrity in life and just witnessing so when the missionaries want to come and help and so on i just say just come and leave yes <laughs> pay your bills go in the post office whatever you do it's it, there's plenty of live your life live your life yeah. live your life as a christian and people will see it and then they will see it it's it's true like a like a abraham when they when the sodom and had the problems with other people who came to uh conquer them they came to abraham because they knew that he will help them even though he doesn't share the same beliefs as them, and they know the, the address where to knock the door. Yep. In these days, why is this important? Why? I mean, obviously, you feel God's calling on your life to do this. Yeah. It's not easy. Mm. It's tough. In a, in a country that has 
of the population yes. is even interested in being a believer yes. in Jesus Christ. Why do you continue to do this? Because I am more than convinced that this is the best way. This is the truth. Uh, and uh, especially in this time of instant everything, people search for instant solution on Internet and so on, especially with young people. They try to find answers. They don't ask their mom and dad anymore. They don't go to the priest or whoever. They ask Mr. Google about every question they have. And over there, there's all sorts of people who they don't understand that that's, that's made for profit, that's made for money, not really caring about their soul, not really caring about them. About them. Uh, and God is the one who cares about them. God is the one who loves them. He even loved them so much that he gave his life. And I want to share that message to them and to know that God is true love. He, he really cares for them, mm. like not just caring about their clicks or money or whatever. Right. I know you have a favorite verse. I know one for your ministry that has helped you that really is one that's in your head always as you're walking the streets here and teaching and working yes. and carrying on amongst and fighting and living life in this area. What's that verse? Uh, for, for me, it's basically the whole letter of uh, Philippians. I just love how many times it says rejoice, 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 rejoice. And so many times. And uh, for me, it's just like because Paul is trying to, uh, like, to encourage people that there's people who are doing many things for many wrong reasons. But in spite of all of that, rejoice. How can people get in touch with you if they want to help you? If they want to help me, uh, they can find uh, us uh, on they can they can find us on social media. It's called EUSCG. Uh, so CG it's Senegora, like for Montenegro. Uh, EUS stands for Evangelical University Students. Uh, they can write on my email. So that's my my name and my last name. And uh, yeah, and we'll make that available for yeah. you because I know people want to help. Yes. They want to be involved. And yes. sometimes they can't go, but they want to help others yes. that are doing, yeah. and they're here doing it. Daniel, thank you so much. We continue to pray for your ministry here in the country and looking forward to working with you this week at Camp Monte. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to Camp Monte. Well, Daniel is definitely one of those guys, when you see him on the street, you're his friend automatically, and that's what makes him uh, a great missionary in this area. You see it. He's living it uh, every single day. Well, another gentleman that, uh, you know, when we started with Camp Monte years ago, uh, Rick and I, we were here, we were working, uh, uh, we met a, a husband and wife, a couple that brought their whole family, Cam and Mary Garvin. Cam, welcome to the program today. Thanks, Jimmy. Good to be here. Now, I know years ago you brought your family to Nikshik, Montenegro. You got involved. You were an associate pastor. And now you are working. You have a ministry. It's entitled Productive Lives. Uh, .org is your website, but you are building into uh, many lives and making disciples, teaching young people how to be uh, to ministry, not uh, on foreign fields, but in the town where they live. But tell us your story of when we met you years ago, your whole family was here. Tell us all about that and how that got started. Sure. I served as a youth pastor for 17 years, and whatever we did in my youth ministry is always missions-oriented or outreach-oriented. So we got our mutual friend, Jimmy Compton, uh, got me over here, recruited me to Camp Monte those years ago. We brought our whole family, all six of us, which was great as a family. Highly recommend bringing your family, if you can, to a missions trip. So I, wherever I've done, whatever ministries I've done, it's always taking people outside their comfort zone to do things. So we started Productive Life right at the end of COVID. 
and kind of kind of blossom. And Productive Lives is really training people to improve their lives and the lives of others through mm. servant living and leadership. And we believe the best leader is Jesus Christ. He, mm. he said, I've come to serve, not to be served, and give my life a ransom for many. And so that, that many years ago we did that, and we've continued to come back, a couple of different trips in between. But uh, now that I'm doing Productive Lives, we're bringing groups over here to help Daniel uh, do what he does. Today, as we were, uh, I sat there and I was thoroughly, uh, I was learning as you and your wife taught the young people here how to, to give their testimony, mm-hmm. to evangelize, yep. uh, how to open themselves up. Some of these young people haven't been out of the country before, That's right. and they are here, but there's a story behind all of this. Yeah, so uh, when we came with all six of us, it was, a, it was a wonderful thing as a family. And it was the last time we were all together on the missions uh, trip together, all six of us. Cam, in 2013, there was an event that took place in the life of your family that changed everything. My daughter was serving in Dominican Republic as a teacher. And unfortunately, she was in a car accident, and the Lord took her home through that. And so um, we kind of rededicated ourselves as a family, and the, the boys have been back with us back in 2019, before COVID, BC, I say, and we were all with us kind of in honor of Megan. And so we keep coming back to Camp Monte, Montenegro, to do that. We've been to the Dominican Republic, where Megan had a ministry as well, and we just really see people, we believe in experiential learning. So mm. you can talk about poverty, you can talk about witnessing to people, but if you actually go out and do it, <laughs> that's where the rubber meets the road, and we really think that's how you learn. Wow. It's just not for missionaries. We're all called to be missionaries, correct? It doesn't have to be on a mission field. It can be in your local hometown. That's right. We focus, we're in the Philadelphia area, so we have guys that are carpenters, businessmen, youth ministries. We have a gap year program that guys come from uh, to serve with us for a day, a week, or sometimes uh, even longer than that. And what they do, they're rehabbing homes. Uh, they're, they're reaching out to uh, guys in drug addictions and ladies in drug addictions. And so we're there to do food distribution, rehabbing homes. It's really meeting them at their level of spiritual interest. You know, you can go to the street and say, Jesus loves you. And there's an old uh, proverb that says, uh, an empty belly has no ears. Mm. So you can say that, and they're saying, well, I'm hungry. <laughs> so we give them food, because that's what Jesus would do, and providing for their physical needs. But ultimately, we want to know that their spiritual needs are met as well. So Productive Life is really getting people involved with the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's mm. kind of why we do everything. So it may be meeting their immediate needs to really to reach their long-term eternity needs. Mm. You know, this program is all about examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Really, just seeing what's happening. We focus on uh, geopolitical events around the world. We focus on Israel. This particular program today is focusing on carrying forth the gospel message in a country where there are very few Christians. Thinking about that, the events in the future, what's going to take place, why the need now? I mean, what's our responsibility as Christians? Yeah, like I said, when Jesus said he came to serve and not to be served, I think that's an example for us with productive lives or all of us. We're all called to missions. It could be in your neighborhood. It could be with your family to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think these last days, I think, 
And I think we're getting towards that, Jimmy. Yeah, we're in them. We said, my grandfather said that. Everybody said that. But <laughs> really just thinking through that people are looking for these answers because things are getting worse. You're talking about politics. We're, we're about 1,500 miles away from Ukraine. There's a war going on. And I think people are looking for how, how can you help me here with these needs? But I think they're asking bigger questions. Where have I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? And we want to be part of that conversation to do that. And I think sometimes it's just reaching their needs. Uh, we're doing a camp here in sports camp. But really, behind all that, I want them to love Jesus. Uh, I want them to love soccer as well. But ultimately, you know, soccer fades. Jesus never does. Your wife this morning in uh, sharing about testimonies, uh, the very first verse that she shared with the group was uh, a verse from Peter. It's one of my favorite verses about being ready uh, to give an account for what you believe for the hope that's within you. That's a shortened version of that yeah, verse, yeah. but uh, that's essentially the verse, uh, apologetics, defending what you believe, and the hope. What is the hope of what we believe? Well, I think as Daniel said, and you've been saying, and I think my wife said it well today, it's really Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't think there's any politician. Uh, we've just gone through a lot of politics and pandemic, and I say protests back in the States at least and around the world. And I keep coming back to, to the prophet Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's the one that has the, the answers for all these issues. And not that these things aren't important, but how can we you know, bring them a Christian perspective and a worldview or a framework, as we talked about today, that Jesus is, is the answer. ProductiveLives.org is your website. You will go to people's churches and yes. teach them how to do this. You will help put together. And in the times in which we're living, we're trying to get the message out. Uh, we're also training. There's two wings right. of the Christian life. There's evangelism and edification. I always say that. If you have one wing without the other one, it's like a one-winged bird, right? So what you're doing is you're edifying and you're educating the body of Christ, and you can do that. Go to ProductiveLives.org. Look at their ministry needs. Look how you can get involved and how the Garvins can be involved in your church and your life. And uh, in these days in which we're living, as I said to Daniel, Maybe we can't get out there and go to the mission field, but you can help others do that. And we encourage you to do that. Thanks, Cam, for being here with us today. And we look forward to being with you again here in another country. That's great, Jimmy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Appreciate it, brother. Well, we got to take a break. And when we come back, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, answering the question, when is the end of the world? Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung and Nick Sheik Montenegro, and Rick is in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. But I want to give people an opportunity. If they want to help us in our outreach, and we have been doing this for many years here, you and I both, and now we're continuing on doing ministry work with the believers and evangelizing those that are lost in this country. What other ways could people help us as we are carrying forth and educating the body of Christ? Well, Jimmy, we appreciate the support that we've received. We received uh, support that helps us continue our ministry, helps us to put this radio program on, but also helps to support uh, what you're doing right now, mission work uh, in Montenegro, uh, reaching the lost. And we saw that in the last half hour, how important that is. If you'd like to do that, go to our website, www.prophecytoday.com. Uh, you can go there. You'll see where you can support us. And even going to our bookstore 
getting our materials, that supports our ministry as well. So we appreciate every bit of that you do. If you would like to call and talk to somebody, you can call us at 8-PROPHECY-8. It's a toll-free number, 1-8-PROPHECY-8. You call that number, and uh, you, we would greatly appreciate the support. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, on the Legacy Series today with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, one of the questions that has always been around, when is the end of the world going to come about? We'll take a look at that today and some future subjects about what we'll be covering in the Legacy Series in weeks to come. Here's Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. As I travel across the world, uh, we always have what we call a Q&A, a prophecy question and answer time. And there are certain questions that are prevalent in each of those sessions that we have together. I love that time. Well, I thought through most of those questions or the major problems that people are having. This week, uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking about when is the end of the world, actually. I'm going to be looking at Islam in the last days. Many people are thinking that the false religion is going to be Islam, that the Antichrist will come out of the Islamic world. What do we know about this type of possibility as it relates to the Bible? And what do we know about Islam? And how do we understand what their real desire is? And how dangerous are they in our world? We'll deal with angelic operations that are taking place as we move towards the end times. I'm not sure if you know it or not, but there's an unseen war going on in our universe today, according to the book of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers of darkness in the heavenlies. There is an attack on the political leaders and the religious leaders of our world. And there's going to be an attack on this earth by over 200 million evil angels. We're going to deal with the angelic activities. What the, are the origins of angels? And what part do they play in our lives today? I want you to know there are angels in this room as I speak. There are angels. I'm not talking about that good-looking girl beside you, fella. I'm talking about there are angels in this room, and we'll be looking at that. And then, what is the truth about hell? It's a very interesting book that's been written by a man in Grand Rapids, Michigan, endorsed by some Christian leaders that has really surprised me that they would endorse him. And this man, Rob Bell, wrote a book, God Loves, God's Love, and it's dealing with the reality that there may not be any eternal hell. Is that the case biblically? And what about our loved ones who die without Jesus Christ? We're going to be looking at that, and I want you to know that uh, I don't always agree necessarily with Franklin Graham, although I've been very impressed with how every time he appears on national television, he's involved in uh, giving the gospel out, and just right in your face, no hesitation at all with the pure gospel, giving it to whoever he may be talking with. He made a very interesting statement the other day on the Bill O'Reilly program on Fox News. Bill was interviewing him, and he, Bill asked him about Rob Bell's book on hell and the reality that there was no eternal existence in that place if you die and go there. And when Franklin answered, I thought the answer was just right to the point. He said, well, that's heresy, and the guy who wrote it's a heretic. <laughs> well, that's pretty bottom line, and... Uh, 
Well, we're going to look at the word. You need to be able to understand what the word has to say about it and how to deal with those who may try to bring this up and throw it in your face. And then the most awesome event, in my opinion, to happen in the future will be the judgment seat of Christ. Within the twinkling of an eye at the rapture of the church, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. What's going to happen there? You need to know. You need to be prepared. It's going to be an awesome time, unbelievable time. And it will set our job description for eternity. What you are going to do for eternity is based upon that split-second judgment after the rapture happens. So I hope you can be with us uh, for these times together. But let me talk to you about the end of the world and what we're thinking about. I guess that you were, as well as I was, inundated with all the promotion put out by Harold Camping that the end of the world was to take place on May the 21st, 2011. We saw billboards as Judy and I traveled across the United States. In addition to that, we heard uh, radio announcements. Uh, we saw television promotion. I saw a full-page ad in the USA Today edition that came out just prior. Uh, we heard about this all over the world. We traveled overseas a lot this last year. We heard about uh, the end of the world coming, according to Harold Camping, on May the 21st, 2011. Uh, even the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, was covering it. That's probably uh, the most uh, uh, powerful news media reporting organization in the world. They are seen internationally and probably more correspondence than any other news gathering organization. Uh, but uh, we were inundated with these thoughts. Judy and I were in Los Angeles on May the 21st, that Saturday afternoon. Uh, we were waiting, at everybody seemingly was, uh, for the end of the world to take place. We got through the 21st the next morning. We jumped up, got dressed, ran over to the church where I was speaking. Praise God, everybody was there. And uh, we rejoiced in the fact that the end of the world had not happened. Uh, but within 24 hours, I got word that Harold Camping had made a wrong calculation. <laughs> Hello, I figured that one out pretty much by myself. But I did come to the understanding that he said his miscalculation was not for May the 21st, but instead for October the 21st, 2011. And so be ready because in that last week before May the 21st, from Christians, hello, Bible-believing Christians, he raised $18 million to do promotion. In one week, $18 million to do promotion for the coming of the end of the world. But may I suggest to you, if we get by October the 21st, 2011, hold on for December the 21st, 2012. Because according to ABC, NBC, and CBS, the Mayan Indian calendar runs out on December the 21st, 2012, and that will be the end of the world. Now, that's what every of one of these correspondents that are involved in morning television for the major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS are talking about. They're all talking about the end of the world. We had somewhat of a blockbuster movie last year. That's going to be opening up, and we're going to see that expanded when Hollywood wants to deal with this particular issue. It's not going to go away. There will be continual primetime specials about the end of the world. 
I can remember back in 1988, there was a guy who wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Christ Was Coming in 1988. He miscalculated as well, so he wrote another book, 89 Reasons Why He's Coming in 89. Indeed, there is a lot of talk about the end of the world. The end of the world is going to be continually in the focus. Even the news media have what they call a second coming headline. I don't know if you know that or not, but all the print media has a second coming headline. It's the largest headline that they could put as a banner on the front page of any of their newspapers. And if you'll hear things unfolding, remember there was supposed to be a major... What do they call it? Uh, Carmageddon was going to take place in Los Angeles when they shut down Interstate 5. And we continue to hear about how the, uh, in the economic crisis that's going on, we're hearing about uh, the term Armageddon changed to another phaseolo phraseology uh, to try to talk about what is happening. Well, I think that it's important that we understand when the end of the world is going to come, look at some of the events that will lead up to that, and be able to have this grid within our minds so when somebody comes and tries to threaten you with the end of the world about to take place, you'll be able to understand within your own mind, have the assurance from God's word that that is not the case. But in addition to that, it'll be used as a launch pad to be able to allow you to spend a few moments with whoever may be talking about this subject, help them to understand the end of the world is not going to take place at this point in time, and then what they need to look for prophetically. And so in order to be able to do that, we've discussed the problem. I want to show you the program for the end of the world. Take your Bible, if you will, and let's go to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, because in the book of Revelation, we see God's word helping us to come to an understanding of really what is going to take place and how we will be led into the time of the end of the world. This book will give you, and if you've never really studied it at all, I'm going to give you a simple approach to understanding the book of Revelation. This book will give you an opportunity to get the handle on how eschatological events are going to unfold in the end time. Eschatological, eschatology, the study of end time events. Book of Revelation is a compilation of all the prophetic passages. In the Word of God, there is Bible prophecy in every single book of the Bible. All 66 books of the Bible have prophetic passages in them. In a project I started a couple of years ago, I started doing my devotionals through my daily devotionals through each book of the Bible and just simply approaching and looking at the prophetic passage in those particular books. Somebody said there's not a prophetic passage in every book of the Bible. I found that to be incorrect when I looked at the fact that indeed in the book of Philemon, where they told me there was no prophetic passage, there is a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. So in every book of the Bible, there is Bible prophecy. Uh, take your Bible just for a moment. You've got Revelation. Take the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation. Uh, put your index finger there and then go over to the book of Lamentation. 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 Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation. And when you found the book of Lamentation, put your thumb in Lamentations chapter 1 and pinch between your index finger and your thumb the pages uh, that would contain 42 books of the Bible. There are 1188 chapters in God's Word. 
out of 1188 chapters pinched between my thumb, Lamentations chapter 1, and my index finger, Revelation chapter 22, there are 398 chapters of the uh, entire Bible. As I said, 42 books of the Bible, 27 books in the New Testament, 15 of the major or minor prophets from Lamentations to Malachi. That's how much is Bible prophecy in God's Word. In essence, one in every three pages is Bible prophecy. And so we need to understand Bible prophecy. And the, the best way to do that is really get a handle on the book of Revelation. If you do that, you're then capable of understanding standing Bible prophecy throughout the entire book. Revelation is not a standalone book. Revelation, the book of Revelation, refers back to 500 different locations in the Bible. Much of it in the book of Daniel, a lot of it in the book of Ezekiel. But all the prophetic passages culminate. Every theme that you see in prophecy, any place in the Word of God, culminates with the book of Revelation. It brings us to the end of this world and then the entrance into eternity future. And so Revelation is a must study. And don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of going in and looking at the book. Indeed, a study of the book of Revelation is a must study if we are to know when the end of the world will come. As I said, please don't be afraid to study Revelation. Next week on the program, I want to show you how to start your study of this great prophetic book, the book of Revelation. Revelation is a key book for understanding future Bible prophecy. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Kramer with Mission Network News. Ousted former Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, saw his party win a crucial election this week. His PTI party won 15 of 20 seats in the Punjab Provincial Assembly. Khan has called for new elections to be held in October, hoping to regain power. Nehemiah with FMI says a severe financial crisis has made his opponents even more unpopular. Inflation hits impoverished Christians the hardest. Join us in praying for FMI as they train church leaders in these challenging circumstances. And many cultures rely on orality methods like storytelling to share the gospel. Mission Aviation Fellowship teamed up with the Seed Company to reach the Democratic Republic of Congo's remote communities with oral evangelism training. MAF pilot Brett Ryerson says one remote village chief shared they felt forgotten by the church. But this program shows God remembers even the most isolated peoples. Pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. 
be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And as we've said from the very beginning, I'm in Nikshik, Montenegro. Rick, you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. What a great opportunity that we have. You know, over the years, uh, when Dad was alive, we reported uh, when we were doing ministry here um, in Montenegro, Camp Monte with our friend Jimmy Compton, uh, a ministry that we have been a part of over the years. It's just uh, one of those things that we are actually seeing in a country that needs the gospel. We're seeing our friends teaching and discipling young people to be involved in the Lord's work. It was an honor to be involved there in Montenegro. I know it's a country of about 650,000 people with only three actual Bible-believing churches, and, mm. and it's a very unchurched society. It's a society that needs the gospel shared, and there's not a whole lot of people doing it. We were involved with this for, I guess, uh, almost 13 or 14 years now. And I, I really, it is something that opens the eyes until you see the the way that the rest of the world is living and understanding, it really does have an impact on those that are coming here. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we take a look at the book. But I do want to say thank you, Rick. There were some great questions that were asked today to our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, uh, Mike Gendron. You did those. It's very vital information to us to show the urgency of the hour. It certainly was. And starting off with Ken Timmerman, he sent me a, a meme earlier this week, and it was basically something to the effect of it showed a picture of Erdogan, uh, Putin, and Khomeini, and it said the Ezekiel 38 summit. And it's just amazing. Uh, we're seeing these things take place right before our eyes that are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. You know, we always talk about why we study Bible prophecy. And it is profitable. Understanding these things, these nations that are involved, helps us to understand how close that we are. And these are the very nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, Daniel chapter 11. These nations are all coming together and every single day. And I know as Cam said, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. Our grandfathers talked about it. Our fathers have talked about it. But, uh, you know, we really do see the world coming to a, a point where the stage is being set for that final act, the beginning of the final acts, the rapture of the church to take place. Dave Dolan gave us an excellent Middle East news update. And uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I know our family has been involved with immigration to Israel, and it looks like Russia is threatening the operation to send Jews that are wanting to make Aliyah back to Israel. You know, that Hebrew word Aliyah um, means to ascend up to Jerusalem or to send prayers to heaven. That Hebrew word Aliyah today is used for Jews returning to the land. Micah talks about it in Micah chapter 4, and in that day, it talks about when the Jews will be gathered, regathered to the land of Israel. And they're being regathered. When 
someone seems to step in place. They're going against God, God's plan to regather the Jews. Ezekiel chapter 34, Ezekiel chapter 36, it talks about the land. It talks about the Jews. I will regather my people. So when somebody like a world leader steps up and wants to prevent that from taking place, um, it certainly does bring to our attention the regathering of the Jews to the land of Israel. And God said, I will regather 18 times. He says, I will regather my people. And when he says it once, that's enough for me. But when he says it 18 times, doesn't matter who's going to try to stop this regathering of the Jews to the land of Israel. Uh, God is in control. Mike Gendron said so many great things when talking about the one true church. And it makes me think, you know, uh, we, we sometimes get wrapped up in our denominations, whether we're mm. Baptist or Presbyterians. And I know one thing that Dad used to say, he said, I'm not any of those. He said, I'm a Bibleist, uh, a Bibleist, a Bible scholar, one who uh, studies the Bible. And that's not only the approach we should take in life, but we should take it in our study of prophecy as well. Yes, Mike is always so knowledgeable. He has a passion uh, for those people that are being led away, and it could be a false religion by a false prophet. It can be any false prophet that is anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-teaching what the Word of God teaches. I like the way that you ask him those questions and why the urgency. Well, because we are living in a time when Satan realizes that the only way to defeat the church is through deception deceiving. That's one of the signs. Five times it talks about deception. Those signs in Matthew 24 about the end times, about the last days, about the tribulation period. Well, we're certainly living in a time period of deception right now. So I think it is important that we understand what the Word of God says, and that's what we really need to study. Not let other people chew our food for us. We need to digest what the Word of God says. And as we come to a close today, Rick, one of the things that I mentioned several times through the program is about the Great Commission. The Great Commission, of course, was about going forth and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I think that the important thing is, is when we make disciples, that's the key. As we make disciples, part of the process of that is we are taught, first of all, to glorify God in all that we do. A byproduct of making a disciple is that those people go out, they're knowledgeable, they're able to defend the faith, they're able to defend what they believe, and they're able to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And this is the way that God has given to us, uh, to mankind, to have a re restored relationship with him. It is, and I'm happy that you are there in Montenegro. I want to ask all of our listeners to pray for you this week. You're going to be holding meetings all week long, and you're going to be sharing the gospel to a, a town and a country that needs to hear this, and that's why we study Bible prophecy. It gives us that sense of urgency to get out there and share the gospel. It sure does. It really does, Rick. It, when we study these things, when we examine these events in the light of God's prophetic word, it just shows us how close— either the rapture of the church is or death 
that can take any one of us, any one of our neighbors, any one of our loved ones that don't know Jesus Christ is their personal Savior. Well, Rick, thanks a lot for doing the legwork this week on our current events and examining those. And as we are continuing forth, I do ask you to pray not only for our ministry here in Nikshik, Montenegro, and this country where the gospel needs to be shared, but to continue to pray for us as believers worldwide that we will get the message out of God's plan of redemption for all of mankind, his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. Well, we'll see you again next week. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.